0: I sound a little bit hotter than you. Do I look a little bit hotter? No, you're fugly.
1: It's one man's opinion.
0: What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Team Morale Podcast, where we do our three favorite things. Talk a little bit of booze, a little bit of beer, and a whole lot of basketball. Ian the Tall Guy, back with you again for another podcast, and we are in a new location today. Yeah, we are. We're at my apartment. Not your apartment. We're at my apartment this time. We haven't done that. Yeah, we left the city of Fort Worth and just entered the beautiful city of Dallas. Mitch has a stunning apartment overlooking the American Airlines Center. So literally, he's got wall-to-wall windows all throughout his living room where we're recording currently. and. We can see the American Airlines Center where the Dallas Mavericks play right now as we're recording, just injecting us with basketball vibes as we do this. (laughs) Your beloved Dallas Mavericks. Absolutely. You know,
1: uh, when the series was going on, I was really hoping for a home win because I was just going to walk over to the plaza and party with people. (laughs) Well, you didn't get any of those. I did not get that. (laughs) But we are going to be talking about some second round games going on.
0: Yes. So a lot has happened in the NBA since you've last heard from us. It's been a, a full week of... Just NBA action, and yes, the first round is wrapped up. We are fully into the second round. A lot has happened. A lot to talk about. A lot to break down. We're gonna break down the Western Conference games, and then we're gonna break down the Eastern Conference game. It's gonna be super fun. Um, Just a lot of nuggets. A lot of crazy series. I mean, three of the four series are tied two-two. Absolutely, it's been very, very good. Before we get into
1: that. First of all, I want to apologize for the echo. My room is not exactly as soundproofed as
0: Ethan's apartment is. It's a lot of a lot wood and walls going on around here. Yeah, a sound engineer would not love this room. That being said, the views make it worth it. Yes. So You guys can't see them, but we but can. But we can, and we're loving it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but before we get into uh, talking about all the second round fun that we've been experiencing last week, we're going to jump into what we're drinking today. And what we're drinking is... Old Forester Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Old Forester is a good one that you can pick up at just about any liquor store. It's all over the place, but uh, you want to hear some history on Old Forester?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right, so this is straight from their website. In 1870, which is when Old Forester was founded, it's right there on the bottle. Old. Old. Old Forester is created by George Garvin Brown and named after Dr. William Forrester. To guarantee consistency, George batches bourbon from three nearby distilleries. He seals his whiskey exclusively in glass bottles and signs each bottle as his personal guarantee of its quality. It is the first bottled bourbon in 1897. In order to comply with the legal regulations specified by the U.S. Bottled in Bond Act in 1897, Old Forester increases from 90 to 100 proof. I'm sure the drinkers were a big fan of that. Oh, boy. Uh, The U.S. uh, Bottled and Bond Act in 1897 requires that bourbon come from one distillery and one distilling season. So George Garvin Brown purchases the Mattingly Distillery in 1901. In 1910, a fire on the bottling line shuts down the production. The Old Forester, which has been dumped and is ready to bottle, instead goes into a second barrel while the line is repaired, leading to Old Forester to create the... And sell very old fine whiskey, which was the very first double-barreled bourbon. Now follow with me. We got more here. That, on the, that, okay, a, hold on. Just that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot by itself. So it was created. It was created in 1870. Very very old. Um, because of a fire that happened at their distillery, they took all of the bourbon out that they could, put it into new casks, which made it the double barrel which bourbon. Yes. Yeah, so like okay. now, like we have bourbon like double barrels now. Yes. I'm following. All right. Then in 1920 prohibition begins old forester was one of only a handful of companies given a permit to sell and manufacture whiskey during the prohibition and the only one uh and the only one still in the whiskey business today today old forester remains the only bourbon continually sold by the same company before during and after the prohibition
0: that's kind of a badass stat isn't that cool that's super cool
1: yeah so they're like I remember uh, a long time ago, we talked about like Four Roses. Four Roses was also one of those few whiskeys because they technically were sold like medicinally. Like there's like medicinal marijuana now. It's like there was medicinal whiskey back in the day. I don't know what you had. You had to to, to get a card, man. (laughs) You got one of the cards for the medicinal whiskey. Uh, um, so you get them. Medis- yeah. They had the like four roses. They were under a different name before the prohibition. And then during the prohibition and then renamed themselves the four roses after the prohibition where this old forester has been under the same name the entire time. The only company to
0: have done that. That is impressive. That that's is cool a, stuff. that's a really cool stat. Absolutely. Um, we'll, we'll break that down a little bit more in a little bit here. Um, but it's, it's solid whiskey. We'll we'll break down the taste a little bit, but let's 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 dive into these playoff series because there's a lot to, to break down here. Let's let's start with the West because in my opinion, I think the Eastern Conference playoff series are a little bit more up in the air currently. Whereas in the West, I think um, I think that well, one of them's already finished. So let let's start with that one. Let's start with the Nuggets Sun series that went four games and was kind of a dud. Yeah,
1: that uh, that series was a bit of a bummer. I think that there was a couple things going on there. First off, the Nuggets, very shorthanded, right? They were I mean, missing
0: Jamal Murray bad. Yeah, they are missing series. Jamal
1: Murray very, very bad in that series because unlike the first series against the Blazers when it was Jokic versus Nurkic, Jokic kind of had his way against Nurkic and he could still create the offense and everyone was still flowing within that Jokic offense, right? Because Nurk wasn't as good at defending him as DeAndre Ayton was. DeAndre Ayton was showing out and is showing to be an amazing basketball player right now, yeah, especially was, on defense.
0: That was a welcome-to-the-moment series from DeAndre Ayton. He was incredible. I mean, he didn't match Jokic step for step, but he he did just enough on the offensive end and just enough on the defensive end to take the MVP's game. And yes, Jokic put up some crazy stats. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Jokic he had will. himself a series, but... He didn't let Jokic beat them is, I guess, the biggest part. He didn't let Jokic go nuclear enough to beat them. Now, they definitely missed Jamal Murray because they got terrible guard play. Mm-hmm. Awful guard play. I mean, when you're relying on Campozzo
1: and Austin Rivers, no, I mean, nothing against those guys, but neither one— I mean, maybe one, maybe neither
0: even make the rotation if they're totally healthy. Yeah, I mean, I don't think either of them play if they have all their pieces. I yeah, mean, Will Bart- Barton on- and Dozier— Dozier would have been big for them. Barton came back and played really well, especially in that game four. Played very well. Was the only one that was really hitting in that game four. Um, but it just wasn't enough. I mean, he he played enough, kind of, but he was on a mince restriction. He was just working his way back into the offense. That pick and roll that Jamal Murray and uh, Nikola Jokic were so deadly in doing, they kind of had a similar vibe with Barton, but again, not enough to... Um, to kind of combat the Suns. And you got to tip your hat to the Suns. I mean, they were incredible. Chris Paul, not enough can be said about him. This is a damn good basketball team. And Chris Paul is finally getting
1: the exact moment that, honestly, he's deserved his entire career. And I think we need to talk about the fact that he's now entered uh, health and safety protocols, which is an incredibly weird situation just goes on to the long list of
0: unfortunate things that happens to Chris ball during the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things where like they have time the the, be- the good thing is they swept, they have about a week until they probably, I mean, hopefully have to play again roughly. Um, but it's one of those things where you never know what's going to, what's going to happen. If he's going to get off, it, it's, the the sons I'm going to I'm sure are doing everything in their power to get him tested to see how many tests that he can pass if he's tested positive then he, you know he's out for a while anyways so it's it's a weird situation not the public us included don't necessarily know completely what's going on we just know he's in protocol we don't know if that means he's been exposed or he's actually tested positive
1: so i i saw earlier today i don't know if it was from the most reliable sources on instagram but they said that he tested positive for coronavirus Um, But he does have the vaccine. So they're trying to navigate what all of that means because you can have the vaccine, but you can also still have COVID in your system and like uh, be like be able to spread it to other people, which is what the NBA is worried about. So now that if that is a true if that is a true source from, you know, Instagram, Instagram has all these like fake sources that are tossed out all the time. But if that's true, Chris Paul Neat, uh, it's nice that they have a good week or so because this Clippers series looks like it's going to probably go to six, if not seven. Um, and that's going to give them extra time to kind of figure out the Chris Paul situation. But
0: the, this Suns team goes as far as Chris Paul takes them. Like, this that's, is Chris Paul's team. Absolutely. I mean, and, and taking where he's at right now aside, he played an incredible series. Oh, yeah. He brought back the mid-range game in an in incredible fashion. I mean, he played... His mid-range game is was so deadly... they they did a a high pick and roll Mm -hmm. to where the the Nuggets were not, they weren't going under or over, they were switching but he had such a head of steam to get into that mid-range area to do a quick stop pop pull-up that was just unguardable like he he was making fadeaways he was making just straight pull-ups he was getting to the rim, he knocked down the occasional three, he was passing I mean at one point he had like 26 assists to one turnover in this series or something crazy like that I saw that, I think it was either
1: through three or through all four games, he had a 33 assist to three turnover ratio. That's incredible. That is wild. He is, he is in the perfect place for Chris Paul, right? And I was skeptical of the whole, why would he want to go to Phoenix? You know, There's a lot of other teams that wanted Chris Paul this offseason. I was like, why is he trying to force his way to Phoenix? He obviously saw something that I didn't, something that you saw that I, I didn't. I did call it. I did you, call it. You totally called it. You totally called it. Um and it's just the it was the perfect fit for him because he added the veteran leadership. He gets to be the initial ball handler and he gets to like bring he's he gets to get the offense going. Right? Cause now Devin Booker is in a situation where in the last four years, Devin Booker has had to play the pick and roll ball handler every single time. He's had to be the entire offense. So he can do that. But now he doesn't have to. So now it's like he has that in his bag and Chris Paul can like pick and choose and just dissect the defense and find where everything is going to be coming from. And it
0: it looks so good on the court right now. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing to watch. I mean, it's one of those things where Chris Paul is able to initiate the offense but doesn't have the scoring burden, mm-hmm. which is beautiful. Yeah. Because it allows him to play. He is an old-school point guard. He is an initiate the offense. Because right now, all of, it's about those point forwards. It's all about, you know, initiating but scoring and all this other stuff. You know, the Lukas, the Giannis, where it's like, Basically, go out. The Russell Westbrook go out and average a triple double, right? Mm -hmm. Well, he's old school. He's he might he might go off and score a bunch, but he what he is best at when when the Suns are at their best is when he's scoring you know 15 to 18 points a game, but getting 15 dimes, and that's when the Suns are at their most deadly. And another thing about the Suns is, and we were I was talking about this with producer Jay, who's a big Nuggets fan. The Suns game, the Suns like what the Suns are best at, what their identity is is getting you off your game. They can win in a multitude of ways, right? They they can win by hitting threes. They can win by playing good defense. They can win by getting in the paint. They won by getting in the mid-range against the Nuggets. But they win by getting you off your game. They muck up the game to where you're not able to execute your game plan, and then they find a way to win because they're very versatile. Which, against the Nuggets, the go-to with that was... Make Jokic
1: have to like go out and make big plays. DeAndre Ayton did a great job of making it so he like he didn't really get to like post up close to the hoop a lot, a lot right? We saw Jokic taking a ton of those like tough fadeaway mid range jumpers, which is he's good at, and you're but you're that's what you live with. If that's I mean, what if, Jokic is, if doing. you're
0: playing the MVP, you want to take him have them take tough shots, he's going to make tough shots, but mm-hmm. I mean, if you have him take tough shots, he's not going to make them enough to win you a series,
1: yeah. And then their... uh their wing defenders were really, really good at taking away all of like the passing lanes for Jokic. So Jokic is like, I mean, he's got great vision, right? He's got, he can see the whole court, but then it's very limited. It gets shut down by all these other uh, wing defenders that's shutting down the rest of the game for Jokic. And so that's what they did. They mucked up Jokic's game, and then they could just like figure out a way to win, right? And then with the same, they played the same sort of style against LeBron.
0: Yeah, it was very, it was very, very impressive. Um, they just played super well. Hats off to them. Hats off to um, the Suns and all their players and their coach Monty Williams. A lot to be said about him. Who him and Monty Williams and Chris Paul's first pairing didn't necessarily go to plan. This pairing has been nothing but beautiful. Um, so that hats off to the whole Suns organization. If you're a Nuggets fan, you can't be that upset because how far did you really think you're going to go without Jamal Murray? I mean, you just reload and you run it back and see what happens when you're healthy, if you're the Nuggets. But if you're the Suns, you cannot be more confident.
1: Oh, yeah. If I'm the Suns right now, I'm like, oh, we're going to make the finals. Like, I don't care if it's the Clippers or the Jazz. Like, we are going to make the finals because we are running through people. There is not a, mism- there's not a matchup that I think creates a mismatch for us, but there's a ton of matchups that I think creates mismatches for them. You've got to be very, very confident. You... Also, I want to shout out uh, Mikael Bridges. I was
0: literally just about to. I was like, one last thing before we move on to the next team. I want to shout out Mikhail Bridges because he played an incredible series, and he's having an incredible playoff run.
1: Yeah. I uh, I can't imagine how I'm feeling if I'm a Philadelphia 76ers fan who traded Mikael Bridges for Zaire Smith on draft night. Oof. Big oofskies. That's a guy that the Sixers would love to have on their team right now, especially since, I don't know if you remember the story, but Mikael Bridges is from Philly. His mom worked for the 76ers yeah, I her do entire remember that. life. Yeah. He went to Villanova. He was drafted by the Sixers and then immediately traded by the Sixers. And so to see him have this like big time like people like he wasn't given up on, but when you're traded for someone else in the draft, like you got you got that chip on your shoulder, right? It was
0: one of those things where they weren't trading to get rid of Mikhail Bridges, but they were getting rid of Mikhail Bridges to get Zaire Smith. Was mm-hmm. the thing. And now it's one of those things where it's just he plays with a chip on his, his shoulder. He plays very well on the defensive end, and he plays and he plays just enough on offense, and he can knock down some threes to the point where he's just a, one of the best three and D young guards in the NBA. Yeah, and he's got freaking go go gadget arms; like those things go like all the way down to his knees. Yeah, for real.
1: So, but uh, I think that's enough on that series. Let's talk a little bit
0: about the Jazz and the Nuggets right now. Uh, the Jazz and the uh, oh, I'm sorry, Clippers. Jazz and the Clippers. Jazz Clippers. But yes, that series looked all but over, but in true Clippers fashion, they fought back. And uh, now the series is 3-2. Or no, it's 2-2. Two two. It's the series 2-2. Two, two two. It's 2-2, two two. and play they play tonight. tonight. So yes, for reference, we are recording this Wednesday night. You guys will be seeing this later Wednesday night. We're a later start for this podcast. Apologize, but we had some stuff to do today, so we're recording it a little bit later. Hey, we're evening. working men over here, yeah. okay? But uh, we were recording this actually during the third quarter of the uh, 76ers uh, Hawks game, so we do not know the outcome of the Jazz Clippers games tonight. But... That being said, this series has been a very interesting series. Oh, yeah. So I
1: kind of think that this series is going to go along the mold of how most of the older series used to go in the playoffs, which is you take care of business at home, which is, you know, the Jazz took care of business at home. The Clippers went, took took care of business at home. I am guessing that the Jazz go and do the same thing tonight, but the Clippers are playing with so much momentum. But the thing that I think is going to be the biggest key is the whole Kawhi Leonard saga.
0: Yeah, he is officially ruled out for Game 5 tonight. Um, There is fear and rumors that he did something to damage his ACL. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say tore it, but he did something to damage his ACL, which is a huge deal, meaning he's out for not only the rest of this playoffs, but a good chunk of next season as well. Um, And it just heavily impacts the whole trajectory of not only the Clippers, but the NBA as a whole. That that changes the dynamic of the whole thing. But – Going like looking at this series, just objectively taking the injury out of it, the Jazz dominated the first two games, played very well. Donovan Mitchell was looking incredible, very similar to Luka Doncic in the beginning of their series, just looked very good. It almost looked like the Clippers were like easing their way into the series, just kind of getting a feel like a boxer in the first round, just kind of like, let me get a feel for you before I strike back. And then in games three and four, the Clippers came out and just kind of blew the Jazz out of the water a little bit. I kind of think that that's how Kawhi
1: likes to operate. I don't think that he was like necessarily tanking the first couple games. Obviously, he wants to win. If he could sweep, he would love to sweep. But he's the way that he plays the game is so analytical. You know, we always joke about him being a robot and being the Terminator and stuff like that. But the way that he goes about the game is actually very akin to the the idea of like he's just so analytical and so robotic, where he spends the first couple of games watching how you play. What are your tendencies? What are your go to moves? And then, how do I take all of that away from you? How do I take advantage of you when I'm on offense? Like, what are like what is it that you are bad at, and then I'm going to take advantage of that? Kawhi is so good at that. He's like up there with like LeBron at that like being able like I don't know uh, basketball IQ, I guess is what I'm going for, and. Yes, the Jazz are an amazing team. When they're hitting threes, they're a very, very hard team to beat, but they have not been hitting threes when they're playing in L.A. the last two games.
0: Yeah, and it's it's the scary thing about the playoffs when you're a team like the Jazz is that, yes, you have a little bit of star power, especially offensively, but outside of Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson, there's no one else on that team that can get their own shot, even a little bit. Um, and when you're not hitting threes, it's tough to win games. And so you're basically banking on being hot four games out of every series till you win the championship and that's again it's not impossible to win that way but it's definitely a recipe not for disaster but more like a difficult road because you require a lot of just not necessarily luck but just being hot Mm -hmm. that's a big part of the playoffs gun to your head who are you picking to
1: win this series it's tied 2-2 but as we go into tonight you guys might be listening after the game five is done but 2-2 tied right now who do you think wins
0: I think the jazz win because without Kawhi Leonard in game five, I have a hard time thinking they'll win two games, especially if he's out for the rest of the series. And there's nothing to indicate that he isn't out for the rest of the series. So I'm going to go with the jazz. That being said, Paul George is due, you know, he's Mm -hmm. had some good games here and there throughout the playoffs, but he is due to, you know, go back to the pacer, Paul George, where he's just going nuclear left and right and just being an absolute badass. He's due. And I it would not shock me to see Paul George just put the team on his back and just go nuts. The man has been an MVP
1: candidate before. I feel like people forget that a lot. Not long ago either. No, like with the Thunder, like two years ago, like he was in the top three, if not the leading candidate for the MVP at one point during that season. Like He is a very, very good basketball player that can absolutely backpack a team if he needs to. I am with you. I agree. If Kawhi is not playing, which I don't think he's going to be playing... I, I got the Jazz. I got Jazz. I got Jazz in. We're gonna say seven. I think Clippers still win one at home. I am think it's gonna go Jazz, Clipper, Jazz, and
0: everyone wins at home in this series. Jazz end up winning in seven. Yeah, which is definitely um, a, a fun series, and it's very funny that the Clippers are doing the opposite of what they did with the Mavs, mm-hmm. where everyone's winning at home versus everyone winning on the road. But yes, I, I do have the Jazz. I think the Jazz are a more complete team. They have a lot more. Their role players are much better. But they don't necessarily have the star power of the Clippers, and when you take one of the stars off the Clippers, I mean, then you rely on a lot of role players. If you're the Clipper, if you're a Clippers fan, I'm worried.
1: Yeah, you're hoping that Luke Kennard or Nicholas Batum
0: or Marcus Morris or Reggie Jackson, a
1: combination of the group of them, all put up like 20 a piece you know yeah so it's a very very difficult situation to be in
0: yeah but that wraps up the uh the western conference those are the two series that are currently going on um let's take a break revisit old forester before we jump into the eastern conference
1: all right old forester so what we got here old forester kentucky straight bourbon whiskey Ooh, yeah go ahead and uh, give yourself a little extra there um so this they have a couple of different bottles that range all the way up until like the 50 to 60 dollar mark I got the one that's kind of like the middle tier. It's like the $30 model. And I would say it is very good. It definitely, like, I get a little bit of graininess to it. Um, you can tell that some of these, some of these like, bourbon whiskeys just, like, taste like they were made a long time
0: ago. Yeah, I was about to say, this one tastes old. Yeah. It just tastes um, old. I don't want to say mealy because that's not the right—it's more of a texture than a taste, but mm-hmm. it tastes— you can tell it's more um, corn than like rye, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think that
1: it's like – it it doesn't really hit that like burn to like the back – to hit like the back of the throat. It's – I agree with you. It's a little – it's got like that corn. Like you can tell it's made a little bit more with the corn stuff. Um, i I like it. It's – it's not, I will say it's not my favorite of the ones that we have had, but it is definitely a very good one and a good like bang for your buck kind of whiskey.
0: Yeah. It, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's harsh cause that's not the right word, but there's it's not, not harsh. There's not a lot of taste to it outside of burn. I'm trying to like dissect, like I can't get a lot of fruits out of it. No, there's definitely, it's definitely more of a like
1: I get fiery, a li- spicy whiskey. Mm-hmm. If anything, I definitely get the
0: spices and like small hints of vanilla, but like small hints. Very, very small. We're getting it's 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 a lot of spice. It's an old whiskey. Like it's something it it's something that like, you know, old men drank a long time ago when times were tough and in the, in the 1870s you, you know had, when you needed a you were in the winter and it was cold and you're like <laughs> shit i need to warm up let me uh you had to get your whiskey card and drink g- it g- give the kids a shot of whiskey to just warm everybody up because it's 1870 <laughs> what else do you do
1: no um very good stuff it is definitely on the affordable side of things i would recommend it to uh to people who actually can appreciate um different types of whiskey bourbons and like can appreciate a little bit more of the harsher flavors, would probably like this more. It's definitely a um it's definitely not a beginner's whiskey. No. no. If you've had if you've had whiskey before or if you've never had whiskey before, do not
0: start with this one. I would consider myself no longer a beginner when it comes to whiskey and it's not something that I would drink often, but it's definitely serves a place on the bar cart. Yes. I guess, you know what I'm saying? It like definitely every it. guy has like either the cabinet or the bar cart or just somewhere where you just kind of keep your, stu- your stash, your, right? stuff. your stash. And it, it's, it serves a purpose there. It's worth having because you break it out and you're like, you know what? I'm feeling 1870 today. <laughs> you know what? Let's ride.
1: Um, I will say this is one that's been sitting on my, uh, um, bar cart for not too long but I've been drinking a lot of this lately and I like it. I'm I'm definitely a fan of the Old Forester. Um I've had the upper echelon bottles before. Very crazy smooth. Very very smooth. Love it. Old Forester's got a big selection that you can go
0: from. Yeah, it's it's almost like a brand of whiskeys that you can taste. You mm-hmm. can take different types out of. Yeah, depending on how much money's in your wallet at the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How broke do you want to be the next day? Exactly. Um anyways, let's let's talk to let's talk the east now because these are the in my opinion, more interesting series um, going forward. Again, we are recording this right now at this exact moment in time. There is a minute and 17 seconds left in the third quarter between Atlanta and Philly. Uh, at, Philly's taking it to them. They're up 85-64, to 64, so a 21-point lead. Whooping that a ass. A 20-point lead as John Collins just hits a free throw. But – uh We should be play-by-play broadcasters.
1: (laughs) We should do a full play-by-play game where you can't even watch the game. You just have to listen to us describe it. (laughs) That's called radio.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. They used to do that? (laughs) They are probably drinking Old Forester at the time. Let's talk this series because I think the average NBA fan would think that Philly would run away with this one, but the Hawks are not going down without a fight. No, I was really
1: stunned that they ended up winning in that game four. because So they, they stole game one. And everyone was like, oh, my God, look at, like, the Hawks. They're on this crazy great run. Trey Young is proving to be the star that people kind of thought that he could be coming out of the draft, doing all the things that they thought that he'd be doing, hitting the crazy long shots, organizing the offense, having great passes. And the rest of the team, it goes to show that putting, like, a lot of, like, solid vets around your one young star, it really works.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This team has so many ball handlers so many guys that can score, and so many guys that have been there before, you mm-hmm. know. And it's like Trey Young, yes, the, the team will go as far as Trey Young and maybe John Collins will take them, but having the Danilo Gallinari's, the Lou Wills, the Solomon Hills, even are so important to this team because they settle everyone down. Mm-hmm. You know, as a Mavs fan, it's something that I really wish our team had. You know, we're all young, we're all like still you know getting used to it and none of our the players on the mavericks have been very far whereas like the hawks are the opposite they have their young star they have you know their young other star in john collins they have a couple of young role players in like herder and um a they're their rookie center but uh they have these vets that are around them that are almost like you know like lubricant to the team where it's just like every every time that they they're on the court everything runs smoother yeah, The offense runs smoother. They, they communicate better on defense. They don't get wide-eyed in the moment. You know, they can calm everyone down. That's so important to a playoff team.
1: And I think that's a big reason why they took it to the Knicks in game one because the Knicks had a lot of kids that were like that. They are very wide-eyed. They're like, oh, my God, this is the first playoff series that we've been to. Like, this is a big, big moment. You had guys like, even like Bogdan Bogdanovich, who hasn't been to the playoffs, but he was a EuroLeague star for a very long time. And he even had a fun quote. The other day, where it's like it's like, how do you feel about the pressure of the NBA playoffs? He's like, honestly, like in these playoffs, people don't throw like coins and lighters at you, so it's <laughs> nothing like the Hero League. And so like you get you have guys that have like been there, done that, and it's nice when you have Trey Young operating the offense, and then he, when he kicks out, he's kicking out to a Danilo Gallinari, he's kicking out to a Bogdan Bogdanovich. he's kicking out to uh, a Kevin Herter. guys that you can really trust to like knock down shots is a very big quality to have in today's NBA especially when you're trying to spread the floor and like the paint gets very packed in, in the playoffs
0: so a team like the Hawks it makes a lot of sense why they're having success yeah absolutely and you got you just gotta tip your hat to Trey Young I mean the guy is not afraid of the moment no he's embracing it yeah big and, time and, and, and he's he's a guy that just he looks like he's ready to lead a team in a deep playoff run yeah I'm not saying they're gonna win this series because I don't think they will but I, he just looks like a guy who's just not afraid to be the best player on a good team because that that's not an easy thing to do no. because I, with a good team comes a lot of pressure right and so he looks like he's unafraid to take those game winners to take those you know series ending type of shots um and it just depends on you know one the hawks are going to go as far as their three point shooting will take them and two, can they find a way to just try to stop Joel Embiid a little bit? Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, I think the reason that they
1: were they were able to get to two two was because they had a Clint Capella on their team, right? Like Clint Capella was enough to slow down Embiid, and we saw that in Game Three where Embiid was definitely having those knee issues and he just like wasn't lifting up off the ground enough. He was he was struggling. You talking over about Game 12. Four? I'm sorry, Game I'm, Game, game, game four. four. Game Four when Embiid struggled, he went zero for twelve in the second half. The most misses without a make and a half and since like the 1980s in the playoffs and you saw him struggle but it still wouldn't have mattered if it was some tiny guy that was guard that was guarding Embiid. he was just like taking you low but because you got a big bouncy guy like him like capella you're allowed to slow him down a little bit which has made this a series i agree i think the sixers are going to end up winning this but it's fun the hawks have even like made this a good series yeah
0: absolutely and and, and flipping the page to look at the 76ers side it's it's one of those things where you're looking at this and like if Embiid was healthy we we would be up 3-1. Oh yeah. You know, it, it the problem is if you're the Sixers can you eke out a series win without just totally ruining Embiid because you're going to need him next series.
1: Yeah, that is the big series. If Embiid's knees are actually having issues like they m- look like they might be obviously they're they're destroying here in game 5
0: but I'm if, surprised he's still playing. He's still in, in the second half and they're up 20 points. Like if I'm the coach of the, the Sixers, he's done rest in ease, bro. Yeah. At least until the, I mean, you might put him in at the end of the game if they cut it close, but it, he might be done for the game. Yeah. As soon as I can get him out.
1: Yeah. I no, I totally agree because the next series is a series that matters. Um, because you're going to be playing either Brooklyn or Milwaukee, and this is, and that is what was going to cement you. The Sixers have actually been to the conference finals before. Now it's time to actually take advantage and get to the finals. If I'm the Sixers, I'm like, this is my year. I'm not super impressed with Brooklyn or Milwaukee at this point, if I'm Philadelphia.
0: No, I, I'm not terrified at all. But again, you can't overlook this, this Hawks team because they're not going to go away. So you have to close the door. If I'm the 76ers, I need more out of Tobias Harris. He's had a good yeah. series, right? But when your star in is has, has been hobbled, when your second star in Ben Simmons, that's just not really his game. And he's Ben Simmons is doing so much for them defensively, guarding Trey Young. Trey Young is like Steph Curry, where he just never stops moving, and guarding him is a, such a chore. Mm-hmm. And Ben Simmons is one of the few guys that has like checked Trey Young the whole game, all games. Ben Simmons has checked him to where like he's constantly moving. He's expending so much of his energy on the defensive end into the court. And yes, Trey Young has played well and he's got put up some decent stats, but Ben Simmons is out there playing very good defense to where like, you can't really ask him to do much more than that. So if you're Tobias Harris, you're like, it kind of falls on me and mm-hmm. you got it. You've got it. You've got to answer the bell. Yeah. I, I
1: totally agree because to because Tobias is a guy that can go and get you 30. And he, when you see Embiid is struggling, it is time for you to step up. It's time for you to take advantage. You've got to go get 30. And then also the funny thing with Ben Simmons is I remember specifically watching Game One, and the Sixers did not put Ben Simmons on Trey Young like at all. Like they kept like running like Matisse Tybel's a good defender. They're throwing him, but they're throwing a lot of Seth Seth Curry at him and like a lot of like the smaller guards at at uh, Trey Young. And I was like, what are you doing? And then once they started putting Ben Simmons on him, the whole series turned around. But you're right, it takes a lot out of Ben Simmons. To go at a guy like Trey Young, it is. this has been a very, very fun series, I think, because we had a team that we didn't even expect to be all that good. I remember in the offseason when the Atlanta Hawks GM or the owner was like, hey, we need to start winning right now. And we're all sitting around like, why do you need to start winning right now? Like, what is the purpose of this? Well, now that they're here in the second round and they're fighting against the 76ers, this is what the purpose of it is. You now have a team with a winning culture going into next year that is still very young, still very talented. You got good, solid players around them, but it's funny—like none of us thought that they were even much of a playoff team, even with the additions going into this
0: season. And now here they are, one of the top four teams in the East. Yeah, they—they they have proven that they can, you know, hang with hang with the best, and that's impressive. Um, going back to the 76ers, it is—they're uh, another good team that has a lot of vets and the vets have played well i mean you have dwight howard who just is coming off a championship year you have george hill who's been on a million teams but has been to the finals before a couple of times like these are guys that can again help lubricate the offense and so it's it's a good mixture of them yes it looks like the uh the 76 are going to win this game with about 10 minutes left uh you know it's what
1: 14
0: it's not over but uh this is know, why Embiid's not out yeah, I guess that's fair. But if you're if you're Philly, are you looking ahead maybe a little bit? Hundred percent. And it you just need to get through without Embiid being more hurt. Hundred percent. I'm all right, like if I was a Philadelphia fan, I'm like,
1: look, this has been fun. I'm like you guys are fighting. I kinda wish that we close this out in five, but we're gonna have to make it longer anyways. Because both of both of Atlanta's games were close. Yeah, like both of Atlanta's wins were close games, and so a Philly's like, ugh, like when we lose a game, like it feels like we shouldn't have lost the game, sort of thing. Like we could have swept this team, but we didn't. Here we are in this situation, but we, you know, we're already thinking towards who is the next team that we're playing. We're already thinking about how are we strategizing against the Bucks, how are we strategizing against the Nets. Especially if you're a Sixers fan, you're like, this is just a speed bump along the road of us trying to get to the finals right
0: now. And and speaking of the Bucks and the Nets, that is the marquee matchup of uh, round two of the NBA playoffs. I mean, absolute crazy. You've got the star power. You've got the underachieving bucks in the playoffs so far in, in, in the Giannis era versus the new big three, the new super team, but they can't figure out to stay healthy. You've got the revolving doors of stars just being out and hurt. I mean, there's so much that's happening in this series, but the Nets lead three, two, the biggest narrative to me about this series is
1: for both teams what the biggest negatives for both teams are and for the nets that is health for your stars the whole year that's what we always talked about is this trio is clearly the best group of players that there is in the entire nba at this point with Kyrie, uh harden and and kd None of, them, none of them have been able to be healthy altogether in this series. Kyrie goes down. Now Harden is like, okay, I know I got this hammy problem, but I'm going to try to play through it. Harden had like three points and 42 minutes he in the last hurt. game. He looked he, hurt. He looks hurt. It's like this was the issue that we knew was going to be a thing for the Nets, and we're starting to see it on the court. And then for the Bucks side, the same thing, that, the same problem that they've had the last several years is the lack of shot creation come playoff time. Right, and it's like you added Drew Holiday. You spent so many first-round picks. You spent a lot of your cap, your capital as a team, going and getting Drew Holiday, hoping that would be a change. Drew Holiday doesn't even have the ball in his hands most of the time.
0: No, he's turned into a catch-and-shoot player on
1: this team. Yeah, it's just like why even go and get Drew Holiday if you're not gonna use him to like be a shot creator? Because that is always been the problem for this bucks team is you don't have a guy that can go and get a bucket because the as we talk about when the playoffs come the paint closes and that is where yannis gets his bread and butter right is like around the hoop now he's relying to do these fadeaway jumpers that feel like they never go in whenever he's doing that little like dirk fadeaway and they just like they get collapsed in and the rest of the team falls apart you're relying on Brooke Lopez to make a lot of threes if you actually want to be winning these games.
0: Yeah, and 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 you're talking about the Bucks. Let's let's start there. I mean, in, in my opinion, KD went off, right? And you have a all defensive type of player in Giannis Antetokounmpo, one of the few guys it, it the as a fan you look that you could throw at KD and maybe try to stop him, and they don't. You, Middleton, PJ Tucker, and Drew Holiday are the guys checking AD. I mean, if I'm Giannis, I'm like, coach, if I'm the two-time MVP, I have a DPOY, if I want to will my team to the next round, I need to check check KD. I feel two ways about this. One way is, absolutely, take
1: some fucking pride, you are the DPOY, you are a two-time MVP, you are the star of this basketball team, and you are the best individual matchup against Kevin Durant that your team has. The other way that I think about it is, as I've watched this series... Kevin Durant is so much faster than Giannis is his first step is so much quicker and almost always beats Giannis and he gets that little fadeaway, or he gets that little pump fake and like go past him and Giannis has a very difficult time going one-on-one defensively against Durant and Durant and Giannis is typically a very good help defender but not a great like one-on-one defender which is the issue that
0: he's been running into yeah and it, and, and I agree with you there in terms of his help versus one-on-one but it's again, have some fucking pride, like at least try. Right. Like, I mean, you're again, the best matchup your team has instead of asking PJ Tucker to do the impossible. Yeah. Like you're the most gifted player in the NBA right now, physically Mm -hmm. in terms of physical, just like athleticism, stature, length, speed, jumping ability. You are as gifted as it gets. Like, I get you're trying to save your energy to be on offense, but this is the fucking playoffs. Step like, up. It, it's time to go. Like, you've got to play both ways. You have to. Like, the fact that they, that he's only getting checked in switches is mind-boggling to me. Because if if I'm a Bucks fan, I'm like, you're my best player. I want you to want that challenge. Dude. I want you to eat that up. Dude, I... Uh- it was he was called out big time by all of his peers.
1: All these other NBA players on Twitter were calling out Giannis for not guarding Kevin Durant. There in the last two minutes, do you know who he was who he was guarding? Landry Shamit. He was standing in the corner guarding Landry. What Schammett. a
0: waste! Why? What a waste! Why?
1: The only reason I can even think, coaching strategically, why that would be a thing is like, okay, like I want you to like help hard. As soon as, like, Durant starts getting into the hoop, like, go and help hard. But I did not see that at all come well, the it's end. Well, Shamit's like, a
0: three-point shooter. You yeah, can't help hard. Exactly. Like, so that's like, the thing the Nets do. They surround you with so many shooters. They play iso ball with so many shooters that you can't help. So you're stuck one-on-one. So if you're Giannis, you're like, all right, if we're going to win this series, I'm the best player on this team. I have a DPO fucking Y. Yeah. Like, have some pride, man. You're
1: supposedly the best defender in the entire NBA when you win that. Yeah. Yeah. Go and play. Go and play defense. Oh, and it wasn't like
0: five years ago. It was last year.
1: He was a first-team All Defensive Player this year. You know what I mean? Like he needs to step up. Um, and also just from the from the strategy wise, I'm a big fan of Coach Bud. I love Budenholzer. I think that he's had a great career. He's done a really good job as a head coach. But I think that he is just struggling in the playoffs with this team. I don't think that he really is taking advantage of. His of his tools come
0: playoffs, and he has always struggled with that with the Bucks. He is so lucky that the Nets have been uh, uh been hurt, have been hurt. Because mm-hmm. if they were healthy, they this would be a sweep, sweep and for I, five I, games. Yeah, I, I don't think it would be much more than a sweep, and that means he's out of a job.
1: He might be out of a job anyways.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of people this, are saying that this is crazy. I mean, and again, Middleton has been hit or miss so far this series, you know. He's struggled a lot in the first couple of games. He's played a little bit better. Drew Holiday has been non-existent. I mean, especially offensively. Maybe he's played, you know, some decent defense, but
1: I mean I will say he played good defense against Kyrie specifically when Kyrie was on the court. Like he played really good defense against him. That's why they're able to to get, squeeze out a couple wins there, but yeah, dude, I this is I am Rooting for the Bucks, I am openly rooting for the Bucks. The Nets are the one team to me that, like in the playoffs right now, they're like, I don't want to win the championship because I love rooting against Kevin Durant. He's a fun villain to have. Same with Harden. Same with Kyrie. Like it's a fun little villain team to have in the NBA right now. So I'm rooting against them, but I do not feel confident about the Bucks right now.
0: Yeah, I I would echo that. Like I'm not necessarily rooting. For the Bucks as much as I'm rooting against the Nets. I'm rooting for the Bucks. Love me some Giannis. So it's one of those things where it's like, just Bucks, get your shit together, man. Yeah, for real. <laughs> like it's one of those things where like just matchup wise, you're not doing yourself any favors. But let's we've talked Bucks a little bit. Let's switch the page or let's turn the page mm-hmm. here, talk nets. Kevin Durant's really good at basketball.
1: Especially when he's playing forty eight minutes a night.
0: Dude, that was one of the all time NBA playoff performances in NBA history. Not that was even, incredible.
1: Not even to mention coming off of a, an Achilles tear. He is one year separated from tearing his Achilles. And now here he is in the second round of the playoffs against a very formidable team with the Milwaukee Bucks. Who, you know, if things turned differently in the, uh, in the standings, they could have faced this team in the conference finals. Right? Like, this is like a conference finals before the conference finals in my head. And Durant is out there playing, not sitting down for a single second.
0: No. Well, that's amazing. it shows the importance of that game five to him. Oh yeah. Where it was like, and it, and in my opinion, it shows the ability that Steve Nash has as a coach because he was a player where as a player, he knows the fire that some players have, right? Cause he's had it before. And when Katie comes up to me, he was like, coach, I'm good. Like I'm in the zone. I'm good. And Nash, that's a great coaching moment for him. And maybe one of the better coaching moments he's had all year was to recognize like, as a player, I understand what you're saying, and I, I back you. Yep, I've got your back. You're not coming out unless you want to. I think that they
1: probably had a conversation going into this game. It was like, look, game five at home, we need to win this. If we lose game five at home, there's a good chance that we don't win game six on the road because the way this series is panning out, very much like the Clippers Jazz Series, it could be a win every game at home series and go all the way to seven. You got to win game five. And I bet Nash and KD talked to each other beforehand and Nash was like, look, I kn- like, these guys, their bodies are in tip-top performance, right? KD could go out and play basketball all day if he wanted to for like 12 hours. He could go out and just play like pick up basketball. His body can handle 48 minutes and Nash knows that because he's been that player like you're talking about. He knows what it feels like to have that adrenaline going. He's like, I'm not going to take you out unless you specifically tell me to take you out.
0: And Durant was just good to go
1: yeah, yeah it, it, all game
0: it, it was so impressive and again the the ability to not only create but create for others to get rebounds to play crazy good defense he was all over the place again a performance of the ages ending with a 49 point triple double just absolutely incredible um and then you you also have to tip your hat to harden in my opinion and and here's why because if you're a role player for the Nets, right? Let's say you're Landry Shamit or Nick Claxton or just a role player, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going into this game with Harden and Kyrie out, your mentality is so different than if you have two of the three. Even right? just being on the floor. Just being on the floor. Not even producing, just being there. Yeah. Like in my mind, like we go from like, fuck. Like we're 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 screwed. To like, all right, we've got two of the three. We have a chance. As a role player, like to me in my in my psyche and again I'm not a role player but in my mind that was a it's a huge mental boost yeah for every other player on that team just the fact that he was able to muster up the courage to go out there and play and yes he played like ass he played terrible he he scored i think only had one field goal the whole game really struggled on both end of the ends of the court had a lot of turnovers just didn't play well but he was out there and to me that's a huge thing for the nets
1: yeah you know what, I think that just James Harden being on the floor, what he brings to the game is a sense of gravity for the defense. Like, you can't just leave him open. Even if he's having hammy issues, he's, he's not going to break you down the way he can. He's not going to be able to get to the hoop the way he usually can. But you can't let him shoot open threes ever. Like I don't care how injured James Harden is, he could be in a wheelchair and he's still going to be a knockdown three point shooter, yeah, right? Absolutely. So like you like if it's just Kevin Durant on the court, all of a sudden it's like you're doubling on him every single time he touches the ball, no matter what. That's what I'm doing at least every yeah, single totally. time. totally. When James Harden is on the court with him, you cannot do that. Like it's just impossible. You got Shamit, you got Griffin, you got Joe Harris, you got Kevin Durant all on the floor at the same time. You can't. All of a sudden it's like no, we can't go off anybody. Like we can't double off anyone because all these guys are gonna be knockdown shooters. So I'm totally with you. It's a it's a big boost to the role players to not feel like they have the burden of like we have to play good tonight or else we're gonna lose. Because you have a guy like James Harden, just him being on the floor adds a whole other element for Milwaukee's defense to have to deal with.
0: Yeah. And 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 again, it tip your hat to to both the stars of the uh of the Nets for going out and not necessarily playing well, but doing what the team needed them to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have other role players super stepping up. Jeff green, huge. just huge. I All, don't think they went to They don't win. No last night. If absolutely not. not. Blake Griffin is having a great playoffs. Love, You know, Blake had, Griffin. had a so, multiple like 18, 19 point games. Like that's so valuable to this Nets team to have, another guy who can go get his own bucket because their offense is so ISO based. Mm-hmm. It's literally have four shooters stand there while one guy tries to take care of a mismatch and then kick out to people. Yeah, and he has the confidence of an all-star.
1: <laughs> I apologize for the uh, the old dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> Just was finishing up. Uh, but yes, Blake Griffin plays with the confidence of an all-star.
0: Absolutely, and, and you need that. You need that. But uh, that wraps up all the series. We kind of broke them all down. It was uh a lot to talk about, but also not a lot to talk about cuz we only talked about four different series, but you know you and I can go on forever. So
1: but it's these have been very very fun. All of them are here in this 2223, you know, except for the Suns nugget series, but we got three very great series that by the time we're talking next week, we're going to know the end of these see how they turn out and i am so excited to watch playoff basketball continue on
0: yeah and just an update for those listening right now it is seven oh five left in the fourth quarter and it's a 12 point game atlanta is making it a game and joel Embiid. oh he was about to yam on somebody but he did not (laughs) but yes another fud podcast down shout out to old forester for joining us today a very good whiskey uh Put some hair on your chest a little bit, but it was it was very good, very fun to have uh, that on the podcast today, and we will be back next week breaking down at least maybe the end of round two, the beginning of round three. Absolutely,
1: welcome everyone to my humble abode. Happy having you. Cheers.
0: Cheers.